0: Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Miller's Gaming Podcast, otherwise known as the first episode of 2023. Have fun times. Uh yeah, so hi Miller, etc. etc. If you want to support the show, algorithm stuff, like comment, subscribe, five-star reviews, and those all those kind of things, you know, the usual, liking, etc. So, for this episode, well, first off, You might notice a bit of difference with the recording, because I'm trying a new setup for this episode. Uh, Let me know how you feel about it. Um, The reason why is because if you've noticed in some of my videos or my past episodes, the chair I normally sit on, which is this pink office chair, uh, is not in the best of shape right now. It's a bit squeaky, and um, I'd have to often edit things out. And um, I'm hoping by trying an alternative setup where I'm not on the chair but still recording... In a, a different way I will be able to um, have a bit of an easier time editing it and also sound a bit better as well um, just bear in mind that it might potentially be a bit echoey so if it is echoey I apologise and I will try to work on it again for a f- other episodes but again like, let me know what you think uh, also there's now a Spotify Q&A feature I'm going to be trying out for the episode uh, I saw it on Anchor last time I did the episode I was like know what I'm going to try this again next year and see what happens and um, if you can answer it please do Um, I'm going to set the question to are you hyped for many games this year so if you can answer that let me know and if so what you're hyped for Um, and um, if people answer I'll um, read them in the next episode Um, if you have any suggestions as well let me know I might do a full survey at some point I don't know just you know I've been at this for like 30 episodes now. And, amazingly, I've managed to get, like, single-digit views, at least, consistently. And on YouTube, double for the last few, I believe. Well, i still got more than I ever expected from the podcast, so thank you very much. Um, Also, I skipped the 27th of December, aka the last Tuesday two weeks ago, because it's Christmas. At the time, it was literally day after Boxing Day. And I'm kind of wishing I did in hindsight, because literally two days after I published the, the episode... Falcon were like, eh, well, let's just announce East 10. Eh, let's just announce East and Felghana, refined for modern platforms. I'm not going to really be going over the news for that specifically because it's quite old, but it's out of date. But I'm just acknowledging here because I'm excited for East i I'm glad we're getting uh, Felghana back in... Another modern platform, and I'm also glad they're doing the uh, refined series because I said they're going to be releasing at least two more games in it in the next like year, I believe, or probably this year or next financial year or whatever. And I hope they keep going with the series and bring as many of their older games back to modern platforms as possible. Uh, they'll probably do E6 next because apparently the gameplay now is quite similar. And last year, I believe it was wayo Records, they did a soundtrack release for it in OST and vinyl. And the other thing that a lot of people think it will be, which I'm kind of on the fence about, and that's Tokyo Xanadu, which is rumoured to be the third port. Because Falcom put a tweet up on Twitter where they about Tokyo Xanadu, where they were like, oh, let's hashtag it for both PS4 and the Switch. And yeah, obviously Tokyo Xanadu EX Plus is not on the Switch, and neither is the base game. So that'd be nice. Although personally, in terms of ports, I want to see, well, Charles in the Sky games, and, well... Yeah, Treasure of the Sky, uh, the other East games, except Five, because that's not been, like, that needs to be properly fully remade, which they'll probably do eventually. Um, the Zwei games, maybe even Xanadu next. Some people think it might be Brandish for Dark Revenant, which um, I've not played Brandish. with I understand, it's quite a unique game, and the PSP remake of the SNES game is the best one in the series, so I wouldn't mind that. Uh, in general, just want to see more Falcom love. Oh, and good as well, because that game is really, really underrated. So, yeah, now that I acknowledge the Falcom news, which is just going to be here, let's get on to the news itself. Obviously, there's going to be a mixture of news that happened just before Christmas, last week of December, and since and the start of 2023. So, they'll all be kind of. Some of these will be older than others, but I wanted to talk about all of them, and I have had to cut things as well. Like there's some more Western AAA stuff that happened. I've not talked about here because it's just too much to deal with, and try to be a bit of a mixture of good and bad. Only other thing is um, I've also got paper notes in front of me, um, partly because where I'm set up, it's not really ideal to have me like look at the screen. And I feel bad because it's like environmental waste of paper, but also like if it makes it more accessible for me, then I'm I consider doing it. But either way, so if you hear any paper, that's why. And um, I'll try to edit it out. Wow! replace chair clicking with removing paper. That's going to work out well, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. onto the news. for more shorter stuff. Um, Square Enix announced the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster Series for PS4 and Switch uh, this spring. I said spring 2023, but this was like before 2023 started. So um, that's uh, going to be confusing. Um... It's going to be available digitally as separate games or in a physical bundle for 75 US dollars in the US or 260 USD for a massive limited edition, which apparently looks quite good. Um, It should have been this way from the start because it originally were coming to mobile and PC and not consoles, which is quite weird, to be honest. But now it's coming. Um, The physicals have already sold out, especially for standards. I mean, they're in Europe as well. They've also been sold out. And they're only exclusive to the Square Enix online store, so you can't really get them anymore, unless they have a waiting list or something. Um, on the one hand, I do kind of see how this makes sense, the limited physical, because we've got to realise when it comes to, like, preparing games to go to retail, you have to convince retailers to stock them. And if you go to retail and, like, hey, we've got a, a £60 game or 60 like, 70 USD USD game, will you stock it? They'll be a bit more hesitant to because of a higher price tag. And that does make a bit of sense, actually, and it's one reason why you see some games go to limited physical runs, even though it can be muddied intentionally by publishers being uh, deliberately moving over there to make more money, but uh, I digress. Um, So I can understand that argument, and I think in this game it actually makes sense, which is why I think if you want a standard, I would, think fingers crossed, for an Asian English physical release. This is because, well, firstly, Square Enix have been pushing out a lot of asian English physical games for their remasters, like the Saga games, Legend of Mana, a whole bunch of Final Fantasies as well. Like, we got a 7 and 8 re- like physical double pack in Europe as well, but it was at one point exclusive to Asia, which is really cool. Um, and when it comes to bigger releases as well, like expensive Switch games that are more expensive than usual... They have released in Asia. There aren't too many, but when you've bundled all these games together, if you release them in Asia, it's more likely that people will, well, one, you'll get retailers at stock them because in Asia the internet infrastructure is not as good. So people often have to buy physical games because they can't actually download them. So that's one reason why you see a lot of Asian English physicals. And that includes higher price tags. So you've got like some examples uh, the Atelier Dusk trilogy, that was like the first big one, if I remember correctly. The Attilia Mysterious Trilogy, that was another physical. Didn't do one for Ireland, even though, Kotaepa, you need to do that. And also in Japan, they got a physical release for the Grisaia Trilogy, which is basically front wing going, eh, well, now the licensing rights have expired from Sekai Project, and the Vita version is not going to happen anymore. Now we've got it back, and now we can get it all bundled together as this massive, like, £70 pounds pack. And it's like £55 on the eShop, but you can import this physical Asian pack that has... All three mainline Grisaia games, and all the little mini side stories, and basically everything before the Grisaia Phantom Trigger series, which is honestly one of the best value for money in terms of visual novels, well, I'm not the biggest fan of Front Wing, but, you know, that's pretty cool, that's a great move to have those games put physically together like that, so, credit where it's due. And I think Square Enix will probably do the same thing as well, and it'll be instantly popular if it happens, and I believe they will do It It may not be at launch, it might be after... Maybe Arc System Works will probably do a Korean physical that like I've done for some other games. Like, they put PS4 physicals for games that Square Enix only released digitally in Asia for PS4. So, we'll have to wait and see. Next major bit of news, uh, the Dock Kingdom Connect game, whatever, is rated for Switch in Germany. We don't know what this is, because this hasn't been formally announced yet. So... A lot of people are speculating it could be a localization of Dockupon Up, Mugendo Roulette, which is, well, the the Dockapon crossover with Aqua Plus, which was actually the first Dockupon game to have online multiplayer. But it could also be an enhanced port of Dockupon Kingdom from the Wii or the PS2, because that was a game that Atlas localized for the US back in the day. And in Europe we got the Wii version, I don't own it because it's fucking expensive, over £100 for it, which is obscene. But if it is that, that'd be pretty cool, especially for the Kinect does imply online multiplayer. And Gamatsu noted that as Reef Entertainment was labelled as the publisher, it will likely be either Axis or IFI or maybe even nicer if they just move over to Reef to get stuff published in Europe or something. I'm going to make a guess that it's Idea Factory and not Axis. Some people think it's Axis, but I think it's Idea Factory. And the reason why is... They've been looking to do more third party like publishing in the West. They've been they published Dust Over Two from Just Dan, and they published a. Uh, they're doing Little Witch and the next year as well. The physical of that in the West, and so they're already working with Sting with things like well. Well, the Fairy to F Refrain Chord Game, for example, and other games as well. They've worked with Sting extensively, like Day to Live as well. So it makes sense to me that they'd make potentially the reach out to them and go, "Oh, hey, we can publish your games in the West," and. Bear in mind that in Asia as well, Sting have also finally licensed out um, an Asian release for the Yggdra Union and Gloria Union games. So they're part of their Department Heaven series, which is what they're most well known for outside of the collaborations they've worked on. And I've played, I've, I've dabbled in a couple of them. Not enough to really fully give an opinion on them, but they're considered to be quite experimental RPGs, and people do love them overall so those release are not in english but it was a physical bundle pack so if sting ever plans to bring the games back and localize them as well then that would be a good time to do it um especially if it does end up that they own uh, the translation now because atlas did it and if you look on the games they still have atlas as a copyright so maybe it will happen maybe not i don't know maybe idea factory i think sega I think Sega might possibly be the distributor for the games in the US as well as Atlas, because Atlas uh, Atlas USA did a lot of distributing back in the day when they were doing a lot of third party stuff. So they we're doing things at other companies as well. They did a nice America's games and distributed those in North America before their partnership terminated. So it could happen. But that's just me. This is me purely speculating. And um, speaking of Atlas, uh, they've said in 2023, starting with the releases of the Persona Three Portable and Persona Four Golden remasters, we we're also preparing several announced titles or unannounced titles. Sorry, please look forward to them. Um, so I have to speculate for a little bit, because one, this is fun, and I want to talk about it. Um, obviously, SMT 30th anniversary. What could it be? Um, my guesses are. Uh, S and T five to other platforms a potential remaster of Shin Megami Tensei four because of all the three like mainline S and T games that's the only one that's not on a modern platform and if you're doing it you may as well do Apocalypse as well a Switch port of Soul Hackers two which really should have been there when it came out last year feels fucking weird saying that now um and maybe some other S and T stuff I don't want to get too hyped for it but I'm hoping that Atlas have learned from the Persona anniversary because they they set expectations too high and then fans were let down when they didn't actually announce stuff aside from mostly merchandise and ports that should have happened five years ago but if i did have to kind of go a bit out there and imagine what i'd like to see localized or brought over or exist i would pick a remaster of smt9 in the style of nocturne hd and the reason why is it's a little cure in the series is that it's a japan only exclusive for the original xbox so there aren't too many. There's there no weird ones I can remember. was Metal Wolf Chaos, but that obviously came west eventually. Um, there was also Tenereza from Aqua which technically is on PC as well. And if you want to play it, you know, you're off just getting that version. But, you know, it's another little quirk. And then there's SMT9, and um, it's got a nice art style. So I think that'd be good to bring out to the west as a celebration thing and remaster it, because... I imagine it's probably more expensive to get hold of nowadays because obviously it's an original Xbox-exclusive RPG, so yeah. Aside from that, though, um, other ports would be great. Uh, Raven Historia, I'd like to see an HD, like, single-screen version of that because that game is fucking amazing, one of the best RPGs ever. And to get a physical copy of it, the DS version's sort of affordable, but the 3DS version is fucking expensive. It's, like, one of the most expensive 3DS RPGs now. Like, it's a fantastic game but it's not worth £200. And once the eShop goes down, you can't legally get it anymore. So I want to see that. Other things, uh, Project ReFantasy. well, that was announced. Is it still in development? What's going on? An update would be nice. Maybe it's quietly been cancelled. It's difficult to say. And I think it's safe to assume that was announced a bit too early. I know they would be founding, maybe announcing the founding of Studio Zero and to make a new game after Full Body or something. That could have worked, but you never know. Um, and also whatever the Ettrinity team is working on, because they're a teasing, like four years ago, a new trailer, and then nothing. And that'd be nice to have that out. And maybe also a, a localized port of Ettrin Mystery Dungeon 2. Just make it HD single screen. We never got it originally. Not even a fan translation, so jump at it. Speaking of fan translations, um, there is actually a new patch announcement, which is... um. Going to be talking about there's actually two fan translation announcements i'm going to be talking about one of them is a visual novel so that's coming obviously in that section and this one you could kind of consider it but i wanted to put it here and that's uh saka wars 2 is now getting an english fan patch uh, there's already a demo available because there was a demo released for saka Wars 2 back in the day and that demo has already been translated and released and now it's like oh we're going to be doing the full game as well and obviously this is *Sack Wars 2 originally on the sega saturn It continues the story of the first game, the heroines of the Flower Division of the Imperial Combat Review and their commander, Ichiro Ogami, in the series alternate version of the Taisho period. Uh, I've not played the first game yet. It's a fan translation, obviously, so I'm going to have to go on the Saturn and get it. Uh, Translation of the whole game is almost done. I'm going to leave a link below in the description to the the page of the demo, and if you want to check it out, check it out. If people want me to see to see me try it out or maybe try the first game, I can prioritize it. Let me know. And now I've got here a break, but I already took a break, so we're going straight into some of the the big shit from large companies, good and bad. And I'm going to start with Square Enix again. Okay, so in November last year, the CEO Yosuke Matsuda was like, "Oh, hey, this is our newsletter. We're going to be doing blockchain. Happy New Year!" Well, he's done it again. It's basically um, he starts by mentioning the war in Ukraine, price rises, layoff, covid and more as justifications for various company reforms. And an example given was their really short sighted decision to sell their Western studios to embrace the group. And then also just to clarify before I go on, he implies in his phrasing that coming just as we were seeing promising signs of the world moving beyond the three years of the covid-19 pandemic which is basically implying COVID is over. It's not. It's still ongoing. And it's still quite bad. Like, here in the UK, our health service is currently collapsing. And one reason why is because of a rise in COVID cases, including among, like, younger children, because they're not being protected in schools. And I have gone about that. But I always bring this stuff up because it's hard not to feel gaslit about people thinking the pandemic is over. And take it someone who still wears masks when I go out. So, you know... Anyway, putting all that aside, because... Yeah, he acknowledged some of the bad things happening with NFTs as well, saying the latter half of the year in particular produced a somber string of news stories with blockchain connections, including the scandalous bankruptcy filing of FTX in November. Conveniently ignoring that another major uh, somber news story is about the reaction to his past statements and other pay for, like with Symphogenesis, which people thought was a new Parasite Eve game, but nope, it's NFTs and also the Final Fantasy 7 stuff as well. And then he goes on and say, "Our group has multiple blockchain games based on original IPs under development. Some of which we announced last year, and we are undertaking preparations that will enable us to unveil even more titles this year." He concluded. So yeah, just to clarify, that is like extracts. I'm not gonna be like doing the whole thing because that'll take too fucking long. And uh, frankly, I have better things than to do than read a letter by a guy like that, just justifying things like that, and it's just annoying. And just yeah, either way. Um, this is going to quite likely, I don't want to say 100%, but it's quite likely will be 100%, be an absolute fucking disaster whenever they're revealed, especially if it ends up being something like Dragon Quest. Oh God, I hope I don't do a bloody Dragon Quest NFT game. That will piss off Japanese gamers immensely. (sighs) Yeah, they're going to eventually have to ban this stuff. Like, it's the thing, like, Square Enix have, when it comes to remastering their games, have been really good. And that is something I'll praise them for as well. Things like moving to more simultaneous global releases and Dren Quest as well. Releasing those games again. But they've done so many other awful decisions elsewhere. Like there's all this as well. The rest in studio selling. It was short-sighted. I get why they did it. It was might be better for the studios and the IPs. But still bad because like uncertainty and you know white shit. Uh, and then just like... They released so many games last year that it was seen as oversaturation, which I'm not sure has affected them too much, but, you know, there was a lot. And also all their live service stuff, like, if you follow the live service news they've been doing, they have, like, free games that are shutting down or ending support. Uh, Final Fantasy Seven, The First Soldier, which is I think it will already be closing very, very soon, probably before this episode goes up, actually. That's dead. Uh, Chocobo GP, which apparently was a pretty good game. And, well, minus to my transactions and predatory behaviour, which um, kind of ruined it, which is a shame. And then Babylon's Fall, which was, like, one of the biggest fucking disasters ever and was, like, one of the worst-rated PS5 games. And, yeah. Um, yeah, Square Enix fucking sort yourselves out. It's fucking late-stage capitalism as well, like. Trying to chase the NFT trend, and it's not going to pay off. And... Yeah, it's just like kind of disappointing, really. But yeah, I'm not sure much can be done about it aside from just watch it crash and burn and just not support any of these games they put out with bloody crypto shit in it. And yeah, there was even a whole thing with Logan Paul, which exposed that as a scam, which is like a really common thing for NFTs, just a fucking haven for scams, which is like it should be. A, it says it all, like, don't get involved in any of that shit because it's just unregulated scam. In Cesspit. And as for other things, talk about Nintendo now. Uh, Actually, no, I maybe skipped a bit. Uh, Sony reveals the PlayStation 5 accessibility controller Project Leonardo. So, this was announced last week, um, announced during the CES presentation, and they have consulted with accessibility experts and organizations like Able Gamers, Special Effect, and StackUp. Uh, Lots of things to note about it, there's just so much, I'm only going to do a few highlights here. It can be placed on flat surfaces, secured to AMPS mounts or tripods, and can be oriented 360 degrees for the most comfortable use. Players can program the north orientation of the analog sticks to match their preferred controller orientation. It can also be used as standalone or with additional Project Leonardo or DualSense. And up to two Project Leonardo controllers and one DualSense can be used together as a single controller, which is... Really cool. Another huge step forward for gaming and accessibility. Because, you know, games are for everyone. Despite what the far-right like to claim. Um, it's so much... I'm so glad that we're finally getting this stuff more standardised. Uh, Nintendo now of a holdout, which is Nintendo. It's not really surprising. Yes, HORI have done a controller for the Switch. But, like, it's like it's not accessible everywhere. Like You can't even buy it in Europe, apparently. So I can't go out to a shop or even order it and get it have to import it, which uh, is also not very accessible, I mean, if Microsoft and Sony, or hopefully Sony, you can basically get it from anywhere, which is good so, you know maybe they'll do one something, maybe for the Switch's successor, which is that, and kind of see why they might not potentially do one for the first Switch in that case, but, you know um, it'll have to be something to think about, but, you know, Nintendo get off your ass and do it please, or at least talk about it, and actually take your time to actually understand what to what people need. And also there does need to be cross console compatibility. For all these controllers in an official capacity. So that for a start. Like buying an extra hardware for each console. Like if you think it's bad trying to buy a PS5 controller to play on a PS5. You should try buying uh, an accessibility controller for every console and PC. And maybe a Hori for the Switch. That that adds up to over £500 easily. Maybe even 1000 It's just really fucking expensive like it's a financial barrier and it's like I'm going to be surprised for a lot of disabled people that really need a lot of adaptations actually play on PC because it's they can adapt it more I mean emulated as well you can emulate on PC as well it's easier to do that and play older games there that's an accessibility thing so you know that's why people do it there I've done it sometimes as well for older games so I understand that a lot and you know I just um I hope this uh, controller comes out and is a roaring success and uh, it ends up being as inclusive as it can be and also cheap-ish or at least cheap, cheaper compared to maybe the DualSense or whatever it's called and um, or at least if it's still like affordable but you know I, I imagine especially tech can cost a bit of money so I kind of get that so you know yeah if you know a disabled person and they play games help them pay for it perhaps. Anyway, now I can get onto the Nintendo bit, which does kind of relate to Switch's successor, which I mentioned. Uh, this is about what Digital Foundry claimed on their podcast. They claimed that a Switch Pro was canned. No, well, a Switch Pro was planned, but it was actually canned a while ago. So Nintendo, apparently, when they talked to insiders, which they uh, didn't name, obviously, they found out that the Switch Pro was scrapped and the resources were divested some time ago. And what they did was the OLED. And then they said that the proverbial Switch 2, whatever it is, will not release in 2023, which isn't much surprising considering the schedule. And they also say that Nintendo is already concerned about the launch of the Switch's successor, which does make a lot of sense, because obviously, like, you've got the Wii, and then the Wii U. I own both consoles. They are great consoles. I um, I could definitely see why the Wii U failed, and in many ways, the Wii U was basically a stepping stone for the Switch. So... I can see why they'd be reluctant to. And honestly, I didn't believe a Switch Pro was going to happen. And it was getting fucking tiring having these conversations and just seeing people like, Nintendo, when are you bringing out the Switch Pro? Nintendo, when are you bringing out the Switch Pro? Nintendo, you need to bring out the Switch Pro. And then, especially after the OLED, because, okay, they released the OLED, like, yeah, this is probably what they're going to do. As a Vita fan, I'm really glad that the OLEDs kind of happened on the switch because now people can see how amazing the screen is like i played on the oled Vita so fucking much and that was so good and like i don't own a switch oled but the fact that it exists and more people can experience it is a huge win for me especially with the bachelor life getting a bit longer as well um that's really good uh as a, also because the base switch was simply selling too much like it's over 100 million at this point Recently got announced to have been selling at least 6 million of that in the UK, which is a lot for a Nintendo console because UK gamers tend to have really awful taste, much like a lot of aspects of Britishness, but I digress. So Nintendo don't actually need to make a new Switch, we don't need to, people are buying it. And then also the pandemic and the climate crisis, because both of those are still a thing, uh, led to chip shortages, factories being damaged and closed and... I mean I still believe the PS5 and the series shouldn't have launched when they did. They should have been held back for like this year or maybe late last year. It's ridiculous. And they've added weird. I think that the PS5 is like two years old now. And that just feels so fucking surreal to me because I've not really been following it. It doesn't really feel like the PS5's been out for that long. It just doesn't. It's like I think it's because like basically everything is still releasing on the PS4. It just feels like it's been released because Sony wanted to release it when it could have been, they could have stuck with the PS4 for a bit longer. And arguably they should have done, but that's just me who doesn't give a shit about the latest high-tech stuff and also cares about eco-waste. And you know, PS5 and back-compatible helps a lot with that. So I think the Switch's successor, whatever that is, it will come in 2024 or maybe early 2025. The Switch is now really starting to show its age, so I kind of get why people wanting a Switch Pro but maybe we're not quite grasping the whole, like, reality of how well the Switch was doing, and, like, just how much, like, Nintendo have kind of moved into more of a late-stage capitalist mindset where they're not giving as much of a shit about quality. You saw that with things like the America 8 DLC, Switch Sports, some of their other multiplayer games other than Splatoon, and especially now with Steam Deck's so out, like, it, because you put a Switch compared to a Steam Deck, if you want the, the most high-tech stuff... Steam Deck is your place to go because it runs and looks a lot better and in like it's more expensive than the Switch but it's also a lot better for that so if that's what you're looking for, Steam Deck's the way to go. But if you still get visual games or you want like games that you can only get on the Switch or like true like visual portability which is quite common for visual novels and RPGs, Switch is still a great choice and probably always will be. Even after the Steam Deck 2 or Switch 2. And speaking of the Switch 2, Nintendo need to make the original, like, all they really have to do to really, like, keep up with the demand is to basically make a more powerful Switch that fixes the Joy-Con drift and has backwards compatibility with, like, all previous Switch games and keeps the hybrid set up as well, and that that's all they really have to do. But they will likely try to innovate, which I think they should be doing, but kind of more in moderation so it doesn't end up like the Wii U. Um, They should, like, keep it mainly to experimental stuff, like Labo, for example, Ring Fit as well. That was with all peripheral, which was really cool. Mario Home Circuit, which was also, like, a really cool idea. And either way, of all this, I'm just glad that people can now stop moaning about it and stop wanting it, because now it's like Eurogamer is, like... One of the most credible sources when it comes to gaming stuff. So I, I highly, highly doubt they would lie about something like this. So I think this has basically put it to bed now. And I'm kind of glad we've had some confirmation on it. And um, I think the best to do, like, make the most of the Switch while while it's still around and in, in its prime. And I'm still hoping, even before the Switch 2 is out, we get some more lovely exclusive games on it. Some more great localizations of great games and new indie gems and stuff like that. Ah, oh, yeah, Switch is amazing. And um, if the Switch 2 is basically a more powerful Switch, I'll probably be there day one, to be honest, because fucking love the Switch, and the Switch 2 would be amazing. And now all the major, like, Western stuff, and, well, mainstream stuff as well is done, I'm now moving on to another visual novel section, which uh, I've had to cut stuff here, because I originally was going to talk about Canon Switch port, which... um yeah, it's coming next spring. I'm hoping it turns out well and we'll get a fan patch for the English TL for it because it's happened for other key games and it's unlikely we'll get a localization for Canon even though it deserves one. It's a classic key game. But you know, and also Buster Fellows date, which was for May, but you know, had to cut out because one, Japan only, and two, like, well, it's too much other shit. But I've already talked about them, so that defeats the point of that. But the big one is uh, Mages and all the situation with Mages, which basically, if you don't know, that's the company that develops things like mostly the science adventure series and other games from the like of Mario Sakura and um, some licensed stuff and occasionally some non-VNs. like VNs. They did a the Bullet Soul re-release. But yeah, that's mainly what they're known for. And then they've uh, over the Christmas season, they entered Insolvency. So they had around six hundred and thirty million Japanese yen as a final loss, with around about four, four nine, over four and a half thousand U.S. dollars, and we don't really know why. Like it's never not said why, but it, the company could potentially go bankrupt if this isn't sorted out. And then it was later announced that Shiomaru Shikura, which is the person like that owns it. Oh, well, owned, everyone's owned it, and then we're like, oh, we're going to sell all the shares to Colopal after buying the company back from Duango just a year or two earlier. And then he's uh, no longer the chairman and executive director. He's now an executive producer, and he's focusing on the development of original works and new games, which are good for him. And I suspect part of it is because Sakura, or Shik- Chiyomaru Shikura, is more of a creative rather than a... A business like business person with always business minor decisions, which um, I mean, when you're in a capitalist world, you have to bear that both in mind. And there are some people that are a lot better at the practical side than all the like theory and stuff. So that makes sense if he stepped down for that, which he should have done. And he's better off just being like focusing on that, not even trying much on the managerial side. Maybe offer his input and opinions, but not like you know haven't directly made those decisions because apparently that's one possible factor as to why mages were struggling especially like originally owned by dwango and then they had a manager buyout so chiamaru studio who owns like who owned mages and it's like the brand holding company for the science adventure series but owned by shikura which is kind of confusing had them becoming directly and then they sold it to Koloppel and then Koloppel's the one that in theory could close the brand if it doesn't work out because Koloppel is the parent company. It's uh, confusing. And then of course there's the one visual remake. Uh, This is a remake of a classic VN that was made by current and former key staff back when they worked at another company called Tactics in the late 1990s. So people like Atari Noe, Jun Maeda etc. Um, this is coming winter 2023 in Japan for Switch and PC, so I'm guessing not next couple of months, but end of the year kind of thing, and, um, it's good it's been confirmed for Switch and PC, because it does pave the way for a fan translation, if not an official release, and I'm hoping it gets an official, because that would be fucking awesome if it got an official release, especially as it is kind of like a noteworthy Viet, so hopefully that happens, and... Finally, the second patch news is a Atomia game patch release that came out on the 1st of January. Literally first day of the month. And it was a, um, a patch for Brothers Conflict Precious Baby on the Vita. So it's for the Vita version. Um, this is quite a major achievement if you're into like Atomia games or fan translations or both, like me. Um, it's basically a massive translation project that was for two Atomia games that were bundled together. Uh, Brothers Conflict Passion Pink and Passion Well Brilliant Blue, they were originally PSP games um, and a part of the multimedia franchise. Uh, we got the anime localized, but not really much else, I don't think. And obviously, it's for the Vita version, so you need a hacked Vita. Uh, you can't like patch it on the Switch or PSP versions. There's no localization for any of these versions officially, and if it did, it would probably be via Idea Factory themselves because you know, it's a otome game (laughs) with licensing there's over like 13 routes in the game with like guys and secrets and stuff so there's a lot going on here and yeah it's interesting to see this um obviously like i think there's some questionable aspects for the story and setting because a core facet of the game is like the heroine romancing her brothers because well it's in a name brothers conflict but i don't think it's good we're still getting like more otome fantasizations completed and released Especially ones that have gameplay because this one has like a scheduling mechanic of some kind. So it's not entirely text based. And also the fact that it's also quite, from what I understand, a pretty wholesome game and franchise. Quite light hearted. And it's got a lot of stuff like, I'm going to link below the link to the patch. So if you have a copy of the game, you can patch it with a hacked Vita and a repatch as well. And um, also link to the walkthrough they use because they released a better tester walkthrough. Which they used for the game. Which is pretty cool. They did that. And they can play below. Um, so I'll leave the links below. never with the Second Wars one as well. And moving on to what I've playing. Which is basically three things. Mainly because lot, lot play a lot of stuff. You get a lot of thoughts. Um, first thing I was playing most recently. Um, Black Wolf Saga Bloody Nightmare. So this is another Vita fan translation. Which... I started like the day that the Black Wolves, the uh, Brothers Conflict patch came out. And this is no Italian game by Reject. So if you know anything about Reject, it's basically, we won't localize our games because Westerners are pirates, that company. And this one, well, got fan translated for the PC via Vision novel reader. And then it got ported to the Vita later under a pack called a Wybun Swats. Because Black Wolves Saga Bloody Nightmare is like one of two games in this like, little franchise. This one is, like, it different changes depending on perspective. So, the actual setting for Black Wolf Saga is, like, a dark fantasy otome game in a world where there's conflict between humans and wolves, and a disease called Zodiva exists, which is killing humans. And then you've got humans, wolves, cats, and other animals are being ruled by, like, two, like, felines, cats, like, love interests, and, um... The Bloody Nightmare one is from the human's perspective, and Last Hope, which is the other game, which was on PSP and Vita as part of the separate Wipe and Swords, is not localised, and that one's set from the wolf's perspective, so it's kind of like an alternative version, so we got the main version, I guess, in English, um... It, I've got the Vita version because I'm not wasting my time on Visional Reader, especially because now Visual Reader is actually quite an outdated piece of tech. It's not been properly supported for some time, as far as I'm aware. So it makes sense to dig it on Vita. The patch was untested, so I'm basically testing this patch, and aside from a few untranslated lines, it's perfectly fine. Um, it's rejet, so it gets quite dark and triggering, especially because there are some scenes that are quite distressing, which uh, I'm not going to hear. Obviously, but I found what made what kept me going was the world was so like interesting. I just loved the the whole setting of this fantasy world and how it everything piled together, and what the setting of why is this disease here? How can we stop it? And what caused these characters to have the beliefs they do? Kind of thing, and I like this aspect of darker tone where there's an actual serious story behind it and a really like, intriguing fantasy setting, which I can't really say about Die Lovers, because that was another game that I played from Rejet. I hated that game. Like, I respect it, because if you jump into die Lovers, you know what you're getting. So I knew it was going to be distressing, but that game was basically, oh, here's vampires, here's a home, here's a very monotonous menu system, here's um, vampires with domestic violence and stuff like that not much of actual substance but this one's like okay some of these characters are fucking awful hint hint for cat felines but some of them are really nice and there's a really intriguing plot that wraps it all together and that's that kind of thing i like and can deal with mainly those, those scenes with the cats were still fucking grim i'm sorry but yeah i've um, done something already i'm gonna keep chipping away at it and hopefully get it all done it's not too long game. I've already, like, I think I've already read the majority of the text because this game has a very long common route. Like, it's basically set up so that you go through this massive route. It's only at the end it kind of branches a bit. So it's about a 20-hour game, I think, assuming you're, like, a medium note reader. So for me, it'll be a bit quicker. But, you know, it's good. I might be able to recommend it potentially. But I do want to, like, I kind of might. I might consider making a video on it properly. But I don't know if I will. If people want to hear it, let me know, like, and I'll probably do it unless the game triggers me to jet, which I hope it doesn't. And now for something not triggering, uh, Tactics Ogre Reborn, I talked about this one in my uh, backlog goals video, which uh, has done quite well views wise thank you very much. Um, classics, Kronik, strategy RPG, enjoying it, most successful, easy-to-play version of the game, not surprising there. Music's great, easy to understand the gameplay, turn your mind system like in the Mask of Deception truth games, make it accessible. One minor thing which I found which is kind of annoying is like I wish they were more variety with the character portraits because you only really get like one or two portraits per class and it's kind of weird like just having minor like palette swaps or even the same portrait representing two different people which is kind of weird. And then some of the names are kind of funny like someone like, I remember fighting like, I had a guy in my team had the exact same name as one of the enemies. So, like, yeah, Rowland versus Rowland. And the Rowland on the other team was a different class and a different outfit. Like, okay, they're both called Rowland, but they could easily be programmed the same because this game is just kind of weird with its, like, c- collecting its profiles and stuff. It's just, wow. And, yeah, um, I think I'm about, um, yeah, two-thirds of the way through. So I think I've managed to get myself on the neutral route, so where... The hero of Denim's like, I don't want war, on either sides, so And just taking people down, trying to put an end to it all. And um, nice little war drama. The English dub is fucking great. Like, I like games that have good quality, like English dubs. Like Xenoblade, for example. Dragon Quest 8 and 11, they had fantastic dubs too. Um, it's just really cool to have that. And it's refreshing to have it in this kind of setting. So, you know, I'd much rather have an English dub that really fits a more medieval setting than the god-awful American dubs that we tend to get with some of these localizations. And I say that as a British person, so, you know. Yeah. And finally, for the one person I've told in advance that I'll be talking about this, so at Hi Ami, you're amazing. Um, Higurashi Question Arc. So, I have finally finished half of the main core eight arcs in the Higurashi When They Cry epic story of horror VNs and stuff like that. And, yeah, I have a bunch of thoughts. I mean, I could do a spoilery one, but... Much like Blackboard Saga, I could make this a separate video. I don't know if I will or not. Um, But I'll see what happens. So, first off, uh, overall, I do like the whole story and premise. It is really interesting. It makes a deep, compelling world. There's a lot of secrets, like with Hanami Zawa, which is like this really small little village out in rural Japan. The setting is really, really nice. And bear in mind, I've been playing with 07th mod, so actually having higher quality visuals and music for immersion helps a lot because of the original doujin stuff while i thought that was like while it is really good the quality of the doujin version it's just really difficult and hard to get into if you really struggle with like with just reading text and seeing character portraits and for me it's just kind of like yeah i'm not the biggest fan of that but having it there, like having this mod, I recommend playing the games with mod. It's basically an open secret. You can go on the Steam forums for each game and see screenshots and have, like, all of them, or if not all, almost all of them, will use the 07 mod in some way. It's basically it's basically what's used to get around the licensing restrictions for the console assets which Entergram own and for some reason won't license out for the English release, even if they won't release the... The game itself in English, like the Switch version, which um, is a whole different can of beast, which I'm not going to hear. And the fact that the Switch version existed was one reason why I did wait to play this as well. Because I wanted a console version, especially for one of the, considered one of the best VNs of all time. And We don't even have a console release on any platform now. Like, what the fuck? I mean, White happened to, I can understand. Because that's relatively obscure in comparison, even though it's amazing. But higarashi is like one of the most popular adaptations of an anime and stuff like that. And, but it does not have a console release, so that's why I waited. And so, yeah, I'm quite happy using those assets to play the game. The game has a very eerie atmosphere, which um, I really liked. It's really interesting. And it's not scary in a jump scare way, but it's in a creepy way, which is, like, common for, like, J-horror, which I really, 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 really appreciate. Um, I will say, though... That sometimes it did get a bit too disturbing for me, and it's not to say because of a horror, science. it's just the implication of some of the other themes they explored. Like, I uh, had to skip through the majority of Tatari Garoshi, which is the third arc. Um, I just skipped it for the achievements and then read a detailed summary of the plot afterwards because it just distressed me so much because some aspects of it were quite detailed and more distressing. To the point where I'm questioning, should that really have been allowed to have been put in there? And from what I understand, the console version of the game actually censored parts of this particular aspect out, which is what should have happened for this release too. But, you know, yeah, so I skipped that. And then there was arc four, which is basically like the shortest arc in the whole series. And this is kind of like a side story that's set before the events of the main story of a different protagonist. And that was also quite interesting. Um, it was also interesting how ha- like having this particular arc have a different character and then have his take on things as an outsider and as an adult because with like Keichi maybe the main protagonist he's a he's a kid whereas the guy's an adult i do think it has a lot of padding which is quite common for visionals like especially in the first portion of the first three arcs there's a lot of like we're playing games and just shit like i think it's meant to like Help with immersion and feeling of all those happy days playing games, but it's just like, yeah, I'll just skip it because I've just sewn out and just it gets not particularly interesting. It's why back in 2017 when I tried to play the game, like years ago, then I just couldn't keep going because it put it actually put me to sleep. But yeah, I'm hoping the question arcs like overall improve a lot. Especially because apparently it's when the big twists are starting. I will say in advance that I've accidentally spoiled myself on a couple of things. Because I had to read summaries to Tai t- Garoshi. And ended up finding a couple of plot spoilers. So, you know, just a heads up there. Anyway, um, that's going to do it for today's episode. I've gone through a lot of stuff. And even after trimming some stuff, I've still gone for nearly 50 minutes now. So, I'm going to stop here. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode of Millet's Game Room. Again, if you'd like to support the show like like comment subscribe five star reviews follow all our platforms if you're on spotify answer a question like are you excited for any games this year and if so what so youtube etc and if i get any answers i'll read them out next episode and um yeah uh don't forget to subscribe to our main channel on youtube miller's game room now like around 120 subscribers at the time of recording thank you so much and um thank you have a lovely day Bye-bye.